Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Manna for Breakfast. Nice to have you. So this day in history, let's look over there and see what happened on this day. We have <laughs> um, Oscar Wilde, famous statement, he has no enemies, but is intensely disliked by his friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. Statement there. President Clinton, I did not sleep with that woman. January 26, 19. 98, Bill Clinton goes on national TV and says, listen to me, basically had nothing to do with Miss Lewinsky, and of course, later was found out to be lying about that. Hmm. How strange somebody in politics would be found to be lying about something. Hmm. Anyway, first public demonstration of television, January 26, 1926, John... Bear demonstrates his invention to members of the Royal Institution in London. It was the first demonstration of a television system that could broadcast live moving images with tone gradations. He used dummies to demonstrate the TV system. And there's been using dummies ever since. Oh, man. That, okay, sorry, I had to do that. Hmm. Benjamin Franklin disproves of the eagle as a national symbol. In 1784, he expressed it was um, more fitting to have the turkey as the national symbol, that the bald eagle was bad moral character because it tended to sit around the rivers and wait for the fishing hawk to go get the, to go get the fish, do all the work, and then it would go steal it. <laughs> Interesting. January 26, 1870, Virginia is readmitted into the Union. And in 1861, much earlier, Louisiana succeeds to the Union. And in the beginning of the war, towards the end of the war there, 1870, Virginia is readmitted. Interesting. First Prohibition Law, January 26, 1838. Tennessee passes a law making it a misdemeanor to sell alcohol in stores. All right, quick dad joke. We got a lot of reading today, so I thought we'd just try and try move on as fast as we can. Oh, here's one of those other ones that just doesn't make sense, but I'll read it anyway. Kind of, what do you call a boat without a rope? Boat. Okay. <laughs> That's what it says. Maybe with an exclamation mark on it. Boat. Two penguins meet. One says, man, it's cold today. And the other one hisses, shh. Penguins can't talk. Yeah, that's more like it. It's like... Guys, come on. You can do a little better than that. Do you know the most important words that can open a lot of doors in your life? <laughs> Push and pull. All right. We're on a bad stream here. I'm, I'm going to go one more because they're just not finding anything that I really like. Mm. This one's got a little potential. I've never liked speed bumps much, but I'm getting over it slowly. With that, let's now move over to the reading today. We are in 
not in Job. We finished Job, so we're back in Genesis. Why are we jumping? We jumped, started in Genesis up to 22, jumped over into Job. Now we're back because Job, it is believed, not all agree, but it was believed that Job lived around the time of Abraham. And so chronologically, we want to cover his life. And then now that we've covered Job and what he went through, now we're back uh, into the life of Abraham. So, Father God, guide us and direct us. Thank you for this time that we have with you, and we just give it all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Abraham now is burial of Sarah. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Abraham then rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. So Abraham arose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and approach Ephron, the son of Zoar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, which is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. Now, Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field. I give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land. He spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me. I will give the price of the field accepted from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave, which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all of the confines of the border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field from Machpelah, facing memory, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for his burial site by the sons of Heth. So we'll stop there because the next chapter is very long. Just to mention that why this is all important. Obviously, it's important because he wants to bury his wife. That's, it. That's what was important for him. But theologically and, and uh, every other aspect, this is the only time that Abraham ever owns anything. Essentially, he never owned any land in Canaan. God said, I'm going to give you all the land of Canaan for your sons, for a possession forever. 
And yet he was a soldier in the land. He never really owned anything but this one field. Why? The Bible tells us because Abraham was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He was he was walking in the land by faith, knowing that God was going to do something to establish his people, but to do something greater through his people that was to bring in a Messiah, that was to ultimately bring all mankind to the Savior so that all mankind could then go to <laughs> possess the land not made with hands, made by God, who's, which is eternal in the heavens. So he walked by faith in that sense, and this was a temporary spot for his wife, by his faith, he was looking way past Canaan. He was actually looking to the, the, the city whose builder and maker was God. He was really looking for the celestial kingdom. He was walking by faith. A sojourner in this world looking for something better. He becomes a representative of our walk with God on this earth. This world is not our home. Just talking with some of you about those people all caught up in this whole idea of the matrix system. You know, we're all in the matrix and... And people get really, really into this and caught up in this. And you go, yeah, so we know that this world is not our home. We know that, that God created this world, that it's passing away, and that the real reality is heaven. It's always been there. Heaven is a, a more concrete reality than the world we live in. If you want to call this world a... Uh, holographic projection because of uh, the good stuff going on in quantum physics, great. I have no problem with that because God created it. And if this body is just a holographic projection, great. I don't care because he created our spirits for unity with him for eternity. And what he wants to know is what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with your spirit, with who you are, your inner being? Are you going to follow God? and seek for a relationship with him or worry about your holographic projection. It's all nonsense. Chapter 24, the bride of Isaac. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go out to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife from the son, for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. Verse 9, so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things in his masters, of his masters in his hand. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Naor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time. 
uh, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, oh, Lord God, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jars so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one of whom you have appointed to your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master." Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Naor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her, and she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. And when he had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for his camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels in gold. And he said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, We have plenty of straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward his master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. And when he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, come in, blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house, then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in his old age and he has given him all that he has. My master made me swear saying, you should not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whom the land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. And he said, 
the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful, and you will take a wife from my son, from my relatives, and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives, and if they do not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw water or draw, and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she says to me, You drink, and I will draw for your camels. Also let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and went down to the spring and drew, and I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. Then I asked her, and I said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Naor's son, whom Milka bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrists. And I bowed low and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham whom had guided me the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. So now, if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son. When Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out the articles of silver and the articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and also to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. And when they rose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the girl stay with us a, f- a few days, say ten, afterwards she may go. He said to them, Do not delay me, since my Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I might go to my master. And they said, We will call the girl and consult her wishes. And when they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, O sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the men. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Verse 62. Now Isaac had come from going to Ber Lai Roi, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us. And the servant said, It is my master. She took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And thus Isaac was comforted 
after his mother's death. Big, uh, yeah, there was a lot going on there. And it's so phenomenal to read that story and recognize God's faithfulness to Abraham and his provision for the servant and his calling of Rebekah. The, the interesting thing to me is here's Rebekah basically being a faithful young daughter to her family, being a really a, just a good girl and, and um, obeying her father. And what it's hard for me to imagine where they were spiritually. They were in Mesopotamia. And did she have the right true knowledge of God? Was their knowledge of Yahweh the same knowledge of Yahweh that Abraham had? I don't know. But somehow they discerned that this was supernatural going on. Rebecca, who we could assume... I'm free to be corrected on this, but who we can, I think, assume did not have a relationship with Yahweh is essentially getting a calling, just like Abraham did, to come out of Mesopotamia. Remember, Abraham most likely was a pagan uh, idol-worshiping the moon god, whatever it was. And God says, I'm calling you to myself. Come out, follow me by faith. And he does. But look what happens with Rebecca. She gets the same call. Essentially, I'm calling you out of Mesopotamia, Rebecca. I'm calling you to myself. She was going to be wed. Her bridegroom was calling her to come to him to the marriage supper. And she was willing to go. They gave her the choice, you know, essentially. Do you want to go or do you want to stay for a while? And she said, I'll go. This is interesting because when God knocks on the door of your heart and says, please let me in, I want to come in. I want to essentially make you my bride and bring you into my family. The, the response should be immediate. There should be no delay. You should say yes when you know what's being offered to you. She's seen the wealth of the kingdom, of, of everything that Abraham had, and this is the kingdom of God. She's seeing that there's love being offered, there's wealth being offered, there is a, a home, there is a place she's being drawn to. There's a lot of neat uh, modeling going on here. And she willingly follows the servant, willingly goes to meet Isaac, and Isaac is the son of laughter, the son of joy becomes, and as we see a type of Christ, as, uh, you know, we're going to get to that one, or we already did. When Abraham tries to offer up Isaac, he's a type of Christ, and so she becomes a modeling of the bride coming to meet her bridegroom, and um, it's just a beautiful story. Find your place in Matthew 17, six days after Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, 
This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken of them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here and there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? And he said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him, first saying, What do you think, Simon? And from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And Peter answered, From strangers. And Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish which comes up. And when you open his mouth you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. So the transfiguration up on the mountain, this was right after Caesarea Philippi where Jesus asked Peter or asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. Where was this happening? There has been some strong opinion on which mountain it was, but recent scholarship would place it, the mountain of transfiguration, there above Caesarea Philippi on Mount Hermon. And this was the stronghold of the Baals, again, like Mount Carmel, of where the, the gods reigned, where the giants, giant King Og, that area up around Hermon, where he was, and there's some ancient uh, ruins up there. They think were made 
at the very top of the mountain by the giants. And this was um, where we find uh, Enoch, the first Enoch, where they believe that the fallen ones first came down upon the earth, according to Enoch. So they were claiming ownership over the world, essentially, initially. And Jesus then, uh, there claims the right over the world. And he says, no, I am the light of the world. And he's doing this in Caesarea Philippi, where they worship, uh, the Romans worship Pan. That was where the gate, the entrance of hell was. They believed that of the underworld, Caesarea Philippi, at the base of Mount Hermon, everything was associated with the gods on Mount Hermon. And Jesus goes there, and in front of these gods, in front of all these demonic beings, saying, I am the Messiah, and he takes the, them up to a higher plateau. We don't think it was on the top of the mountain, but to a higher plateau. And he's transfigured, and he's glorified. So he's doing this as much for the demonic realm as he is for Peter, James, and John to show them that he is truly deity. He is God. They are not. This is very important where he did this, Mount Transfiguration. And they see this, and of course, who's there? Abraham and Elijah, the law and the prophet. They represent the law and the prophets. The, how God communicated to man before, how man was to be have a relationship with God. And what does Peter say? Hey, let me build three, three little booths for you, three little kind of, we might even say thrones, but that would be pushing it. Three places of honor for you three. And uh, no, immediately the cloud comes over and put it in my own vernacular. Uh, no, only one is important, Jesus. He is my son. Listen to him. There was a very clear, don't make three. You know, this is not about making three. They, the apostles needed to understand that all authority had been given to the son. Yes, there was authority in the prophets. There was authority in the word, in the law. Those things were useful and had been up to that point. But now, all authority, all and all glory was going to the Son. And it was going to be a kind of a threefold power uh, system or uh, that they were going to be competing. It was all Jesus. And so that's why when the cloud departed and everything, Jesus was left there alone. So they get the picture. Oh, okay. We were placing Moses up here and Elijah up here with Jesus. And really, you know, it's the other way. Jesus is up here and they're way down here. He's, de he's divine. He's deity. He's God. And so they realize this now. Then, of course, they come down from the mountain. And immediately they start getting this question about Elijah. Well, wh why does it say that Elijah has to come first? Because I, I don't know if they were putting it all together. It was the other disciples that weren't there that were, were really wondering this. Because they've just seen Elijah. And they're saying... And he's saying, yeah, if Elijah will come first, and he did come first, but he came in the spirit of, of John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. And so the idea is that he will come again. That's one of the reasons why we see that he was taken up in the chariot, never to, he didn't die, that he can come back actually physically. And that's why most people think that he'll be one of the, the prophets there in front of uh, the temple in the time of the tribulation. Be be interesting to see how that works out. All right, moving on to Charles Spurgeon. God routs fear. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. Numbers 23, 23. 
How this should cut out root and branch as silly, superstitious fears. Even if there were any truth in witchcraft and omens, they could not affect the people of the Lord. Those whom God blessed, devils cannot curse. Ungodly men like Balaam may cunningly plot the overthrow of the Lord Israel, but with all their secrecy and policy, they are doomed to fail. Their powder is damp, the edge of their sword is blunted, they gather together, but as the Lord is not with them, they gather together in vain. We may sit still and let them weave their nets, but we should not be taken in by them. Though they call in the aid of Beelzebub and employ all his serpentine craft, it will avail them nothing. The spells will not work. The divination will deceive them. What a blessing this is. How it quiets the heart. God's Jacob's wrestle with God, but none shall wrestle with them and prevail. God's Israel's have to prevail against them. We need not fear the friend himself nor any of those secret enemies whose words are full of deceit and whose plans are deep and unfathomable. They cannot hurt those who trust in the living God. We defy the devil and his legions. So with that, we will move on into prayer. Very good. Don't fear the enemy. The enemy is defeated, essentially is what he's saying. We have a God that is a living God and a powerful God. And it demonstrated that in the Mount of Transfiguration, as we just saw. Father God, we do thank you for this beautiful morning we're having here. Thank you for giving us the warmth and, and uh, the sun here. We do pray that sun can come out in some of those areas up north that are covered with ice, covered with snow, and people need to get to work. They need to go about their day, and we just pray that they're not in... Um, yeah, inhibited and can't get the, the things done they need to. And we are praying for the energy crisis and the people that need heating oil and heating gas, especially in Europe right now with this energy crisis. And it could be severe, especially for the elderly. So we want to be sensitive, God, and pray that you have a, a plan, that you help the governments even be able to have a solid plan that will help these people that are in need. There's so many. So thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for service last night and the many people that were there and the fun time we had just enjoying your word together and watching how you can just develop things and show us deep truths and deep things which help us understand more about your character, who you are, and more about your love for us and the way that you truly do love us. So we thank you for that. And we ask special blessings on, on those that are going through some difficult times right now. Think about Espady's dad just needs a special, special blessing, God, and, and your help that he's just been beat up and, and, you know, everything coming against him. So many of us know what that's like to just be wrestling with the world and feeling like it's just overpowering you. Pray that you just give him rest and give him healing uh, in spiritually and, and physically. And also for those that have just had very, very difficult times, um, may you bless them and help them heal and just be the God of their comfort, the God who holds them and loves them so they can feel your presence. You are so, so very much close 
to those who are seeking you. They just need only need to reach out and, and take hold of you. So we thank you for your healing power, that you would continue to heal hearts and heal lives and heal bodies, Father. So many people with difficult uh, medical things we're, we're going through. Many, many people needing your supernatural touch in their bodies to bring them back to wholeness. So we do pray supernaturally for those that are seeking it, those that are going through cancer treatments, those that need surgery, that you would be blessing them, thinking about Mary with her, with her surgery on her ears, pray that everything went well, and now she's all healed up and hearing, and others that have needed um, surgery on their shoulders or trying to get anything that, that's not functioning to function as we live in this world which is falling apart and having so many viruses and so many things attacking our body. Do pray for, for everyone that has had, Father, the medical treatment for our recent um, pandemics, that those treatments would not have an adverse effect on their bodies, but they would have um, negligible effect, and that, that you would, again, protect us from any further COVID outbreaks. And we do pray for those in China that are dying daily, tens of thousands daily. Father, we know that there is something on the, the horizon coming, which is far bigger than we could even imagine right now. So we pray for that your spirit goes out, touches them, they would be drawn close to you, come to know you and see what's, understand what's going on in the world that we live in, the times that we're living in. Just prepare our hearts, but God, in all that, prepared in love that we can share your, your goodness to those around us, that people can see that there is a God that can bring peace that surpasses understanding in the midst of the storm. So we thank you for that. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We love you, God, and ask you to continue to teach us and help us grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys. I'm, I went way over because I messed up getting started, got started really late. So I got to jump over to the Spanish time reading the word. Anybody want to work on their Spanish? <laughs> Stick around. I'm going to start again. So we will see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.